Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. What's going on, everybody? Um, we're back, and we're going to be talking about the 10 biggest hoaxes in history. We're going to switch things up for this episode. I know it's been a little bit, and uh, I didn't want to tire everybody out about, um, you know, this This whole channel isn't about um, counterfeit things. It's fake, like, situations, fake um, stories, fake everything. So I didn't want to tire everybody out over the same stuff. So we'll get back to our regular um program schedule. Uh, I've got a bunch of good stuff for that, but I want to break these up. Um, I've done some side things. If you guys want to look at um, uh, some like scams around the world, I did an entire series on that. That was really cool to, um, to kind of learn about. And then people going to these said places gets to learn more, uh, get to learn more about what's going on, what to expect. So let's talk about it. First off, um, the, the 10 biggest hoaxes in history okay so we know what hoaxes are which is just like essentially you know a story that was that was made up in order to sell something that's kind of the big thing is whether it's social credit whether it's actual finance um you know getting actual monetary things from it uh but that's kind of what hoax are and boy oh boy there are some crazy ones throughout history and that's what we want to talk about so we kind of know that what the definition now is of hoax. Um, actually, let me look it up real quick because I want to look that up. Um, so a hoax is a widely publicized falsehood so fashioned as to invite reflexive, unthinking acceptance by the greater number of people um, of the most varied social identities and of the highest, highest possible social pretensions to goal its victims into putting up with the highest possible social currency in support of the hoax. Boy, oh boy, geez, Wikipedia really was trying to fill in some words there. Oh my goodness. I mean, some of us just jump up the font. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, so that is what the actual definition is there um, of it. So let's just jump in, okay? So number 10 is the Tazaday. So many called the Tazaday tribe lost or undiscovered. Okay, so Survival International uh, simply stated that they had not been contacted due to uh, isolation since the Stone Age. So this tribe was totally disconnected from everywhere, um, and that's kind of what it was sold to the world as. So the tribe was described as a society, um, let's see, as a society of noble savages who lived peacefully inside jungle caves. So in fact, the community had no words for violence or conflict. Seems pretty cool, right on the... Um, on the skin there. So that sounds really, really neat because they don't have any violence, conflict, blah, blah. So the Tazaday tribe uh, was, however, controlled by Manuel um, Elizabeth Jr. And uh, he would grant access to anthropologists and celebrities to visit them inside the caves. Already a little crazy there because, um, you know, they're just making an exclusive, like these people are a commodity to go visit, like a museum. So um, it was only when Oswald Eichton paid an unexpected visit to the tribe that the hoax was discovered. He found the community relaxing, wearing T-shirts and jeans, and using modern tools such as knives and mirrors. So after he questioned the community via translator, they admitted that they were not a Stone Age tribe and that they played the role in return for money from Elizadel. So basically, this was a publicity scam led by officials of the regime of the recently deposed um, 
Philippine President Fernand Marcos. So in 1988, however, uh, President, uh, President Corazon Aquino declared the Tazaday to be a real group, though many scholars obviously disagreed. Other academics have since concluded that they are indeed a distinct isolated people, if not a Stone Age tribe. So they're kind of branding them as less a stuck-in-history kind of tribe, but um, they are apparently a very isolated people, which um, is kind of a weird way to just describe an entire group. A group of people because they um, they are a group of people and they all were using tools, genes, they had all genes, they had clothes, all this crazy stuff. So number nine is the dead fairy. Okay, so April 1st, 2007, Dan Baines from London decided to play an April Fool's Day prank by putting the corpse of a fairy on an online auction website. He later sold the fairy for 280 pounds. Some 20,000 people flocked to the site in one day to view the image of the fairy remains. So the seller stated the remains were similar to a child but had hollow bones like a bird. The corpse also had teeth, skin, hair, and of course, wings. So he stated that the dead fairy was discovered by a local dock walker and that the corpse had also been confirmed as genuine following an anthropologist's uh, examination. You know, the, the very famous fairy anthropologist, you know, that's very famous um, title to have there. Um, later the same day, he admitted that the fairy was fake and added a disclaimer onto the product description. So yet many believers still insist the corpse is genuine and that Baines had simply attempted to cover up the truth. Baines, oh man, covering up the big fairies. Oh boy. So that's an interesting one. Um, and I would implore you guys to check that out. Really interesting. I mean, it's clearly fake, like a hundred percent fake, but it is black and white. So I'm guessing, well, no, it's an online auction. So I don't know. Maybe it was like in the, like the birthplace of internet, um, it didn't really say where they we put it on. He just an online auction. I wonder if that was eBay. Plus, I mean, oh, it's 2007. So, yeah, I guess they had probably the precursor to eBay at that point or Craigslist. All right, number eight, Clever Hans. Clever Hans was a horse um, that could not only count but could also provide an answer to complicated math problems. So it's like the talking wonderful Mr. Ed from earlier on. Um, at least, no, I guess this was this was earlier. This was early 1900s. So it was Wilhelm von Olstein. Um, Austin was a yeah Austin. Okay, was a mathematics teacher who would travel across Germany to provide free exhib- exhibitions of clever Hans to wow the public with his remarkable talents. Okay, to answer Audia's questions, Clever Hans would stamp his foot. Of course, many people doubted the horse's talent, so various studies were carried out on Hans away from his owner, but he would always answer every question correctly. So Austin's downfall uh, came when a stranger asked a question he didn't know the answer to. So it became apparent that Hans wasn't capable of answering mathematical questions. He would simply tap his foot until a person seemed to relax Oh, when he reached the answer. That's kind of cool. Clever Hans would know he was right when he received a round of applause from the audience and was treated with a reward. So, I mean, I feel like that is pretty smart. That's a pretty smart animal. So maybe we're just not giving Clever Hans enough credit. But uh, the math problems, a little crazy. That's a little nuts. All right, so we're moving on from the Clever Hans to number seven, which is the Cardiff Giant. So, way back on October 16th, 1869, William Noel was digging a well when Noel was digging a well in Cardiff, New York, when he discovered the corpse of a 305 centimeter tall, which is 10 foot, 
tall man. Uh, he instantly believed he had found a giant, so he covered the site with a tent. He then monetized the discovery by charging 25 cents for the public to view this enormous man. Unsurprisingly, all was not as it seemed as archaeologists ultimately deemed the corpse to be fake. The giant, um, the Cardiff giant, was the creation of George Hull, a tobaccoist um, who hired men to carve the man out of a three-meter block of gypsum in Iowa. He told the men his intention was to create an Abraham, Abraham Lincoln monument for New York. The block was then shipped to Chicago and char- uh, carved by stonecutter Edwin, or Edward Burghardt, who was sworn to secrecy. Stains and acid were then applied to the fake corpse to make it look weathered. Hole then transported the faux giant by railroad to the Newell's farm. Newell, who was Hull's cousin, then hired two men to dig a well for them to put the giant. I actually have seen that. So if you go to Austin, there's this weird, Austin, Texas, that is. There's this weird museum. I think that's actually what it's called, is like the Museum of Weird. And they actually, I think, have the Cardiff Giant, or they may have the Iceman. It's like a very similar story. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, it's really interesting, though. Okay, so next up, six, spaghetti trees. So it's hard to believe a broadcaster would intentionally plan to deceive a whole nation, but that's exactly what the BBC did to UK viewers on April Fool's Day in 1957. Man, I mean, was April Fool's thing like just not a thing at that time where people like, oh, April 1st is around and now we're learning about harvesting spaghetti from trees. (laughs) Um, So the BBC aired Panorama, a popular documentary show that exists to this day, I guess. So to inform viewers of the spaghetti harvest at the time of the broadcast, spaghetti wasn't well known in Britain. So viewers were hooked by images of a Swiss family harvesting the pasta from a tree. To add to the mockumentary credibility, Richard Dimbleby, a respected uh, broadcaster, provided the voiceover. So the mockumentary was so believable that viewers contacted the BBC for information on how to grow their own spaghetti tree at home. So the network recommended that they place a sprig of spaghetti into a tin of tomato sauce and hope for the best. So that seems less of an actual hoax and just more of people being dumb. I would say because, uh, I mean, it's clearly fake, like 100%. April 1st, I'm sure these people have made pasta. It was 1957. You know, they didn't, they weren't going to go buy pasta all the time, you know, because of stores at the time, I think. Most people were making things ingredient-based then. So... Next up, number five, Nat Tate. So acclaimed British novelist William Boyd pulled off the greatest um, artistic and literary hoax of all time in 1980 or 1998. So those were a lot older than this one. This one's a little newer. So the former lecturer of St. Hilda's uh, College of Oxford published the artist biography Nat Tate in American Artist, 1928-1960. He claimed Nat Tate was an abstract expressionist who both lived and worked in New York during the 50s. However, Boyd stated in his book that Tate destroyed 99% of his work during the course of one weekend and then leaped to his death from a ferry by Staten Island. So his body was never found, of course. Uh, It couldn't possibly have been found as Nat Tate was a figment of Boyd's imagination. So following the biography's publication, which was presented as real and extensively reviewed, the lie unfolded. So Nat Tate's life was not only concocted by William Boyd, but the book was written in collaboration with Tate Britain and the National Gallery. There uh, were also other conspirators involving the clever ploy, including David Bowie, who gave a public reading of the book on April Fool's Day. Again, April Fool's Day. What's going on, guys? The reason behind these are just elaborate, like April Fool's Day jokes. They're not even hoaxy, I guess. I mean, I get they're hoaxy. 
But um, they're all on April Fool's Day. Maybe it's, that's their like scapegoat. They're like, oh, I was on April Fool's Day. It was just a joke when they get caught. That's probably actually more of the reason. So the reason behind the publication was to expose the pretentious art world as many socialites and industry professionals claimed they were aware of Nat Tate's legacy. So the art world realized it had been fooled once a reader wrote the Independent to expose the hoax. All right, number four, Mary Toft and the Rabbit. So in 1726, 24-year-old Mary Toft went into labor and called out for her neighbor. Mary Gill, who quickly rushed to her side, what Gill... um, So her neighbor is Mary Gill. Okay, I read that incorrectly. So what Gill didn't expect to find was that Mary Toft had given birth to a monster. So she ran to Toft's sister-in-law, who was a midwife. She informed her that Mary had seemingly given birth to a jumble of animal parts. So the family promptly uh, sent the parts to John Howard, who was a local surgeon for more than 30 years. After he inspected the remains, he stated Mary Toft had given birth to a three legs of a cat of a tabby color and one leg of a rabbit. In them were three pieces of the backbone of an eel. Okay, so skeptical of what he had seen, Howard visited Mary, who he claimed was of very of a very stupid and sullen temper. However, he was flabbergasted when Mary gave birth to the bunny before his very eyes. So Mary became a celebrity as the public became captivated by her story, especially as Howard reportedly um, witnessed Mary give birth to eight more baby rabbits within one month. It kind of brings into play what her sex life was like, though. So the story was so mysterious that Britain stopped cooking rabbit stew. Mm. Okay, so Mary was then taken to a London bathhouse against uh, her will for study and was under the watchful eye of King George himself. So weirdly, Mary stopped giving birth to rabbits. On December 4th, a porter was caught attempting to sneak a baby rabbit into Mary's chamber, and Mary's husband was found to have bought many rabbits from the town's merchant. Which evidence mounting against her, Mary convinced that the story was a hoax and that she was thrown in jail for five months. I mean, why would you want to be known for the lady that gives birth to rabbits? That's so weird. I mean, it seems like we know how babies are made, and if you're giving birth to rabbits, I mean... You're going to put the two and two together. So number three, Balloon Boy. I actually did a TikTok about this with all the balloon news that we've had. So aspiring actors Richard and Mayomi Heen had appeared on the reality show uh, Wife Swap. So during the time on the show, Richard was vocal about his dream of launching homemade flying saucers into storms. However, their dream of connecting with aliens seemingly became the family's biggest nightmare on October 15, 2009, as they made a 911 call to the state that their six-year-old son, Falcon, had floated away on a helium-filled balloon. The media later reported that Falcon was traveling on the gas balloon um, at an altitude of 7,000 feet, and the story earned him the nickname of Balloon Boy. However, the whole world need not have worried as it turned out the Falcon was hiding in the family's attic, and Richard Heen had built the flying saucer-shaped balloon in the backyard, Richard was consequently sentenced to 90 days in jail in order to pay $36,000 of restitution while Mayumi served 20 days of community service. The Heen family was told that they could not financially benefit from the hoax, such as profiting from a book deal, which I think was their intent. So number two, the Hitler Diaries. So West German magazine Stern published the first installment of Adolf Hitler's Unseen Diaries of 1983. The periodical reported paid $4 million for the 60 volumes, which they believed were found in the wreckage of the plane crash from 1945. So aware 
how important the documents were to history. The magazine had handwriting experts from Germany, U.S., France confirmed the authenticity. Okay, however, people um, across the world were skeptical, and they had every right to be. So the um, Bund Sharvik, uh, that sounded Russian, Bund Esarivkiv, that still sounds Russian, published an article revealing that the handwriting had been replicated using modern stationery. Additional uh, handwriting tests were undertaken only to prove the document's inaccuracy. So the hoax forced several editors to resign, including those from Stern, Sunday Times, Newsweek, uh, Sunday Times, sorry, and Newsweek. The diaries were later found to have been forged by Conrad Kujau, uh, who was unsurprisingly a small-time crook. All right, and last but not least is the Amitville uh, Horror, which there's a movie out. So in 1974, Ronald, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six of his family members at 112 Ocean Avenue, which is a large Dutch colonial house located in New York village of Amitville. So in 1975, DeFeo Jr. was convicted of second-degree murder the same year George and Kathy Lutz along with their three children, moved into 112 Ocean Avenue. So the family claimed a demonic spirit supernaturally attacked them, and they fled the house after 28 days of paranormal terror. Investigators, however, um, were skeptical of the family's claims. So it wasn't until years later that the lie was actually exposed. So as DeFeo's lawyer finally admitted that they both and that both he and the Lutz family worked together on the story and that they both had profited substantially from the host. They were also worked in, uh, they worked with Jay Anson and novelist to help enhance their tale, which was then adapted into the movie Amitville horror that we have talked about beforehand. So guys, that is it for this. I hope this was like a refreshing kind of change of pace from what we usually do, but, um, I do want to continue doing things like this. I think it's fun. I think it's cool to kind of explore some of the other fakery out there, not only just items, but, uh, scams around the world. We're going to talk about hoaxes. We're going to talk about all that stuff as we expand. Thank you guys for listening to my podcast. I appreciate it. Um, downloads have been going up. This is awesome. Um, and I hope you guys are watching my TikTok too. It kind of adds a cool element to it. So remember guys with faked items though, there are those that produce them, those that purchase them and those that listen to this podcast. I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.